0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. The COVID-19 pandemic has been one of the most disruptive and devastating events in recent history. But it's also led to a series of incredible scientific breakthroughs, including the fastest ever development of a new vaccine. Now, the technology behind the COVID-19 vaccine, which has already saved millions of lives, is being adapted to find solutions for previously incurable diseases. Today, senior reporter for The Saturday Paper, Rick Morton, on the woman who spent decades advocating for the unproven technology underpinning the vaccine and how it helped save humanity. It's Tuesday, December 14. Rick, Who is Katalin Kariko?
1: Katalin Kariko is a 66-year-old scientist. She grew up behind the Iron Curtain in communist Hungary in a small town, 10,000 people, in the middle of nowhere, as she describes it. And she's the daughter of a butcher and a bookkeeper. And she's changed the world, uh, turned it on its head. In fact, she's expected to win, if not the next Nobel Prize, a Nobel Prize, and soon. But only a few years ago, no one was interested in her work. No one. And the story of her life and her achievements is really, really extraordinary. I I find it breathtaking, to be quite honest. And she's one of the most fascinating characters in in science that we've had in a very long time.
0: Mm, And it sounds like her rise has been pretty phenomenal, Rick. So can we start at the beginning? Can you tell me about how she got started in her scientific career? Where did it all begin?
1: Every kid is a scientist, right? Right. And Kariko was always interested in science. In fact, I mentioned that her dad was a butcher. She was always watching him, sort of the pigs.
2: <laughs> I was always there. And whereas my older sister, who's three years older, and my mother usually, you know, inside the house, they didn't want to see that part. But...
1: Her mother would tell her, you were always there, you were fascinated by, you know, the insides. Now, it sounds a bit gory, but, you know, they had no running water, no television in this village. So science is what happens in the world around you
2: course we had uh, all of the happiness and I didn't know how many things we didn't have because other neighbours didn't have.
1: By her own admission, she says that she wasn't that great at school early on, but by high school, by the eighth grade, she was winning
2: science competitions. And when I was 14, I was uh, sort best in Hungary in the country. (laughs) And... um, I, I knew the uh, names of the plants. I love plants. And when I went to the university, actually, I also mentioned that I want to work with plants. And then everybody was sad that, oh, that's so boring. <laughs> but I love plants. <laughs> yeah, I
1: like... And she went on to study biology in college and then she went to graduate school. And it was there that she learned about a molecule that scientists had uh, only discovered in the 60s when Catlin was just five years old, messenger RNA.
2: And of course I was an undergraduate, everything was new for me, this was also and very exciting.
1: And Kariko was fascinated by by these molecules. She thought they had infinite potential.
2: And for my PhD I, I went to the RNA lab.
1: And she managed to see that at a very young age and she dedicated her entire career to this thing that really no one understood.
0: Okay, so Rick, what exactly is messenger RNA. And what was it that catalin saw in it? What was the potential that she identified?
1: Yeah, so just really quickly, I mean, DNA was the big breakthrough. We all know DNA, double-strand molecule that encodes our genetic profile, our genome, and that was discovered by Watson and Crick. Everyone thought it was kind of like the overarching code for life. Uh, if you understand DNA, you understand everything. That wasn't quite true. In fact, RNA ribonucleic acid, which is a single strand compared to DNA's double strand molecule, actually did a lot of the work in the cell. And it's messenger RNA that takes the overarching rule book of DNA into the, the cell to the ribosomes, which is kind of the factory. And that's what tells the ribosomes to print or produce these proteins and chains of amino acids. Now, the key insight here is that if you can... Understand that process well enough, and then control it first in a lab, and then in in, in vivo, as they call it, uh, in the body. Then you can actually have tremendous breakthroughs in medical science. Now, the great conundrum for Kariko and researchers like her was that the mRNA died um, or was degraded uh, when it got into human cells, and that's not useful when you're trying to actually harness it. So. Carrico was convinced that this technology was the key to solving most human ills, but they needed to get over this roadblock. And, you know, the lab she was working in in Hungary lost its funding in 1985. She couldn't continue this work. She knew the potential was there, but she needed to keep working. So she couldn't progress her work and she left her home country. So she packed up with her husband and two-year-old daughter at the time and moved to the United States.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so she thought that there should be a way for messenger RNA to be replicated and essentially to carry out certain functions in the human body. And if that was possible, then there might be all sorts of medical applications for the technology. But it sounds like within Hungary, there wasn't a lot of support for that hypothesis. So what happened when she went to the US?
1: It did not go as she had planned. She suffered setback after setback after setback. It was actually quite astonishing how much bad luck she had in terms of the institutional application of her science. And Carico never received a single medical research grant for her work. She lost repeated positions at institutions around the world and in the United States of America, and at one point was threatened with deportation by a former supervisor because she accepted another job and didn't tell him fast enough. And both the job that she had accepted and the one that she was um, already in were gone. So she was without work and technically an alien in the United States of America. She managed to get around that, thankfully, at the last minute. But she was, you know, when she thought she had her career back on track, she was an adjunct professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And then after, you know, a series of experiments that didn't go the way she wanted, she lost all funding. And, you know, it was her dogged pursuit of research on mRNA technology that kind of led her to that position and she couldn't convert the people around her, even though she knew in her own marrow that this was an excruciatingly exquisite technology. She couldn't convince the others and they believed it was far-fetched or or impossible to actually translate into real-world outcomes.
0: Mm. So is that what was going on here, Rick? Clearly other people, other scientists and people who are in charge of handing out grants just weren't seeing what she was in terms of the potential of the technology. That's
1: part of it. Carico is also really humble. She's methodical, but that didn't translate to all of the trappings of this system in which you have to be a showboater. You have to be good at grant writing. You have to be good at smoothing. You have to be good at making sure you've got the right networks. And she didn't do any of those things because she was always in the lab.
0: Mm, yeah, it it sounds tough. There's this technology that she, as you say, believes has huge potential. She she knows that it does, um, and that's because it can literally instruct cells to do whatever you want them to do. That's the potential here, but no one else seems to be recognising that. And now across two different countries, her home country and the US, she's struggling, she's failing to get support for her research, she's not getting grants, she's been demoted. So when do things start to turn around for her, Rick?
1: It's a slow road, but she has this massive breakthrough in 2005 where, along with a colleague, Drew Weissman, at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, the two of them figure out a way to produce a modified mRNA molecule using nucleosides naturally occurring rather than synthetic that can be safely absorbed into human cells.
0: Are you just absolutely puzzled that nobody else is rushing in and having champagne together with you? I mean, (laughs) this is like groundbreaking stuff that you're able to accomplish. Was that um, frustrating or puzzling or both?
2: No, we, we didn't. Uh, I mean, uh, when we had two thousand five data and the paper came out, I um, you know Drew is um, is a very calm person, and but he told me that calls are coming in and they will invite us to talk, and it didn't happen. But uh, we were not sitting and waiting and watching the t- telephone.
1: And about fifteen years later, it was this discovery that ended up being the key to creating a whole new scientific platform for vaccine delivery. And that was and is being injected into hundreds of millions of people and playing perhaps the most important role in ending the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: We'll be back after this. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer.
1: For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis,
0: So, Rick, Catalan and her colleagues, they finally figure out how to use messenger RNA in a way that can help save lives. But I imagine it wasn't as simple as going from that step to creating a vaccine, especially because at this time, I mean, COVID-19 didn't exist yet. So tell me about what happened next.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, the breakthrough itself is, is really in the structure of how this thing can operate. But to make a vaccine, you still need to know what to tell the cell to do. You need to know what proteins it needs to make. Now, with some viruses, that's easier than with others. So there were a bunch of things that really happened after this massive breakthrough that laid the groundwork for what would ultimately become the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, Kathleen patented her discovery alongside Drew Weissman and set up a company to continue her research. That was (laughs) ill-fated. You might be picking up on a trend here with um, poor old Carrigo's career.
0: So many setbacks. Mm.
1: So many setbacks, a lot of bad luck. But in 2013, she met the founder of a pharmaceutical company called BioNTech at a lecture. This is a German German startup, And he offers her a job at the company, which she accepts, because at this point, the university that she was at, the University of Pennsylvania, has stopped funding her. Now, a few years later, that BioNTech company starts working with Pfizer on a flu vaccine using the mRNA technology and had developed. And then, of course, we kind of know the story now, COVID-19 hits they realise they're in an incredibly unique position. They could use this exact same platform, the one that Katalin had been advocating for for decades, essentially her entire adult life, and they, they know this is important, so they pivot to making this COVID-19 vaccine and they do it really quickly.
0: Mm. So this technology that she's been kind of obsessed with for her whole career and, and hasn't given up on, despite no one else really believing in her, that turns out to actually be the, the technology that will end the pandemic. It's amazing, Rick.
1: It's, 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 I mean, I've said this many times during our chats about vaccines and COVID-19, but this is, I think, one of the singular scientific achievements of humankind in terms of the scale and the lives saved. We'll never know how many lives Catalan Carrico's invention has saved.
2: I was uh, recently received actually an uh, email from... Uh... Retirement um, uh, Elderly Care Centre and uh, they described that the one week after I received, on the, uh, received the vaccine, their uh, residents also received.
1: She tells this lovely story about uh, an aged care home where they were waiting for their Pfizer vaccines and not long after Kariko got hers on television, this aged care home, all their residents were vaccinated with the Pfizer and then there was an outbreak.
2: One week later, there were infections. 70 people were positive and then nobody died.
1: And not a single one of them died. And they all wrote to her to say thank you.
2: And then they had a T-shirt with my picture and then they took a photo and they sent to me. And I, you know, nothing, nothing can, as gratifying that seeing those people that uh, so happy that uh, they, they made it.
1: And then they sent her messages again on Mother's Day because of the vaccine they're allowed to catch up with their family.
2: Oh, wow.
0: And
1: have visitors again. Yeah. And it's hearing those stories that actually makes it real.
2: No matter what price you give me, nothing can be uh, generate that kind of feeling, you know, because this is coming from their heart.
1: The thing that I find fascinating about her own story is that she never gave up because she knew what science is. Science is not about winning every experiment or learning the thing that you set out to learn on any given day. In fact, it's, it's about continuing to ask questions. You know, a good science experiment will actually raise new questions. And that's what her career is built on. She was just refining and refining and refining. Universities, in some cases, particularly in her case, they just couldn't see beyond these failures. You no, know, they thought the failures were not useful. Whereas she knew that it was just all part of a long plan to get this thing to work. And I just I wish I wish our institutions could back that.
0: And I suppose at the end of that process, after making all of those refinements and having those failures and breakthroughs, Messenger RNA was adapted to fight COVID-19. But it does sound Rick like it could also potentially do a lot of other things. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of this technology. You can adapt it and you can instruct cells to do what it is that you want them to do. So what else might be possible?
1: Oh, so many things. (laughs) You know, messenger RNA has shown enormous potential for medical applications beyond COVID. And so we're talking about vaccines and treatments for conditions including cancer, you know, stroke, necrotic wound healing when it comes to diabetic patients, other types of viruses. Um, Can you imagine how fast some of the progress will be made over the next five to ten years on these things? I find that incredibly exciting. And that is the number one message, I think. You know, yes, it's been a hellish two years and things have been terrible, but we get something out of it.
0: Mm, It's nice to think of something good coming out of the pandemic, Rick.
1: Yeah, and, like, I'm not just saying that. I genuinely believe it. Like, I am so excited by this stuff it is just an astonishing story of human achievement, but also just, you know, the way the natural world works and the way that we are beginning to understand that. I mean, we are only at the beginning of that journey.
0: Rick, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks, Ruby. I appreciate it. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read POST, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters.
0: Also in the news today, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has confirmed that international borders will reopen to visa holders from Wednesday as planned. International workers, students and tourists will be able to enter from December 15, after the original plan to reopen on December 1 was delayed by the Omicron variant. And the Victorian government-owned logging agency, as well as its regulator, have been referred to the state's anti-corruption watchdog after the ABC revealed allegations of illegal logging on public land. Vic Forests have denied the allegations of widespread illegal logging and said it has complied with the law.